Some people claim they stand on the Word of God. And others literally do it, right? Evidently, that was my thoughts because I put it in the floor. You know, um, I can remember back just a, a few months ago, and I can't remember if it was the end of last year or the first part of this year, but I was hearing a lot of um, glad for 2019 to be gone, looking forward to 2020. And uh, I can't remember if it was in Sunday school or if it was in preaching that I made the comment, be careful because you don't have any idea what's coming tomorrow. We don't have any idea what this next year holds. And I just would like to get my prophet star this morning. Because we're in June, right? The sixth month, almost halfway through the year, and it has been crazy, right? I mean, from tornadoes to pandemics um, to riots to looting to, to brutality and it's just all of this craziness. And it has been ridiculous crazy in just six months. And this is the very reason that you and I don't put our hope in this world. Because we don't know what's coming next. A lot of people will sit back and look at the last six months and go, I ain't never seen nothing like this. It ain't never been this crazy. Well, maybe you don't remember it, but there have been times that it has been this crazy. If you look at history, it'll show you that there has been events. Maybe we weren't alive, maybe we don't remember it, but it has happened. The consistency of this world is its inconsistencies. It's up and down, you know, things are great, things are bad, things are great, things are worse. And it's always that way. And it's why you and I don't put our hope in this world and the things and the people in it. Because it's so much inconsistency. Now there's one thing that's always consistent that never changes, regardless of the environment, regardless of what's going on around us, Regardless of the times, the pandemics, the riots, the looting, whatever, it don't matter. God is still God and He's still on the throne. Right? He never changes. It's never, he's never going to vary from one side to the other. It's a dead straight consistency that you find in God Almighty, the Creator of all things. The other great thing about God is I thought about this week on, on the times that we're in. None of this took Him by surprise. The, the angels didn't wake God up and go, you ain't going to believe what 2020's done to them people. He's not caught off guard by it. So if our faith and our trust remains in Him, it's like being uh, in, in the uh, sea, the ocean, in turbulent rough waters, but being able to see a lighthouse. See, the purpose of that lighthouse is to guide you back to a, a safe place. And the thing about that lighthouse is it's on the shore and it's not moving. God is like a lighthouse. If we can keep our focus on Him regardless of what's going on around us, we can find our way back to shelter and cover and stability. And more than anything right now, this world that we live in needs Jesus. That's, that's the only thing that's going to fix anything that's in front of us right now. All the craziness. Listen, all of this stuff exists because this creation is broken. 
It's cursed. It's cursed. And more than it, the only thing that's going to fix what we're looking at is Christ. The world needs Christ right now. I would say worse than ever, but as bad as it ever has. And it's up to you and I to be some sort of a lighthouse for the rest of the world. In other words, they ought to look at the church and go, that looks like stability. And that's what we should represent during these times. But we don't always do that. And the reason we don't always do that is because you and I aren't always in the place we need to be spiritually in order to guide other people to that place. In other words, the lighthouse draws you to where it is. If you're not where you're supposed to be, you're not going to be drawing them to where they need to be. Then they're going to get to where you are and go, well, this ain't no better than what I had before I got here. So it's up to you and I, in order for the world to see Jesus, to be a reflection of God's glory, the image of Christ, walking around in these uncertain, turbulent, disturbing times. And in order for us to do that, we've got to be in a particular place, spiritually. Our minds, our hearts have to be in the right spot. In other words, we have to be prayed up, studied up, what better time for fasting than right now? What better time for prayer lives that are on track than right now? Because that's what puts you and I as Christians in line with where God wants us. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how forgetful we are. We talked about the importance of obedience. We talked about the impact of sin. And this week, we're going to the importance of prayer, how to. The importance of prayer, how to. One of the great things about the time you and I live in is the amount of information that we have access to. Right? If you don't know how, if you can spell how to and what you're trying to do, right? Used to, you had to go to the bookstore and get a book. And a person like me may find Microsoft for Dummies. Remember that? And, and you had to get a book on the subject that you were trying to figure out what to do. Well, today you don't have to go anywhere. You take out your phone, you flip over to either your search thing or to YouTube, and you write, how to? Anything from operating the cricket to putting belts on the dryer, right? Changing the brakes on the car, putting bulbs in the light. I mean, it don't matter. If you can think of it, somebody somewhere has made a video to teach you how to. It's every... I mean, it's on every... Now, don't go try the, the how-to fix blankety-blank-blank-blank on a D8 cat. For some reason, my people don't do YouTube videos. <laughs> That will, I mean, it ain't out there. It's, it's not, the, and it's probably a good reason because some of y'all has done got your certification for automotive repair from YouTube. You think you're a certified mechanic because you know how to how to, Chris. Right? Right? Chris was working on his Jeep last Sunday. It done, everything they had done broke down last week and it was down to one vehicle and it was running on about three cylinders and he had to get it going. And I said, you need some help? He said, oh, no, I looked it up on YouTube. I got this. <laughs> true story, by the way. Every word of that's true. 
my brother will call. Man, I, I did such and such. You need some help? No, I looked it up on YouTube. Got you. Got you. It would have been a lot better for Kirby years ago if YouTube existed. I can't tell you how many times he'd walk in with a box and go, can you fix this? How to. So even before YouTube, even before the books, even before the Four Dummies series, we had how to. And we're going to look at one place this morning where the Bible gives us a how-to. And we're going to hope and pray that we can concentrate on it enough and we can delve into it enough that we can walk away because the cool thing about how-to videos is if you pay attention and if you find the right source, you really can accomplish what you set out to accomplish. In other words, you can gain knowledge and understanding from these videos if you pick the right source and you pay attention to it. I'm hoping and praying that we walk away this morning with a little bit more knowledge of how-to from Scripture. Because Scripture is a great big how-to book. There's a whole lot of places in here you can go to figure out how-to. Now, it may not teach you how to put spark plugs in your Jeep. It, it may not teach you how to put the, the belts, replace the belts on your dryer. But it teaches us some things that we really need to know for the times like we're standing in right now in 2020 in our country. Because the only thing that's, it's not going to be the politicians that fix it. It's not going to be the left or the right. It's going to be Christ. It's going to be God Himself that corrects it if it gets corrected. And what we got to do is point people to that. And in order for us to point people to that, we got to be where we need to be with the understanding that we need to get them there. In other words, you may even become somebody's how-to. So you got to be a good source, right? Because you can get on there and type in how-to and find some Yahoo out there that don't know no more about it than you do. And you walk away with the same misunderstandings and bad information that you had when you started. You've got to find a good source. And I want you as a church to be a good source of how-to so that when you have these conversations, listen, it ain't no going through a day or two anymore without talking about all this craziness. And I want you to be a good source for how-to so we can get our country pointed back to Christ, back to God, so we can see some of this stuff changed and fixed maybe. Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. The importance of prayer, how to. We'll start reading in verse 5. <clears throat> now, I don't know, uh, Kevin may have to speak up and correct me on this. When I did my background on all of this, um, and I did my context and was trying to keep things in, into perspective, um, Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I read through that, I don't see any breaking point, and I don't see any place where the Sermon on the Mount stops all the way into chapter 6. So the way I understand it, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. 
the reason I couldn't wrap my mind and get locked in on that is because when I looked at some of my commentary, they said he's talking to his disciples. So I went back and looked at it again, and I read back through from the start of the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't see any breaking point, and I don't understand why the commentary I had said they were he was talking to his disciples. I really believe this is still part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to a horde of people. Um, and it says in the Sermon on the Mount, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And then he goes into the uh, Beatitudes. Is that saying that right? I always say that wrong. Um, he starts there and goes into this long, and he goes into different subjects all along the way, all through chapter 5. Um, and then into chapter 6, he's just preaching on different subjects, so to speak, and teaching from to these big crowds. And this is a part of that, as best I can figure it out, that's what it is. Now, somebody a lot smarter than me had a different opinion, and they may be right. I don't know. Um, so, in chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 5, and then we'll kind of go back and look at some of the other stuff. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Here's your how-to. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you to say thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together this morning. Father, I ask that your presence be felt in our midst. Father, I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth is words that are, are supplied by you. Father, words that bring you glory. Father, I pray for your guidance and your direction this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your word and your word only. That we may receive this instruction and may allow this word to change us. To be more like the image of your glory that you desire for us to be. Father, I thank you, I love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go back to the, the first verse in chapter 6, he starts out with, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your Father who, who is in heaven. Now, I believe we can see a consistency in this writing and we can come to an understanding because one of the first things we're going to notice is, is Jesus told us not to pray in public. Well, that's obviously not true because we can see instances of Jesus Himself praying in public. 
So we know that's not what he's saying. So in order to have the understanding that we need to take from this, we have to keep everything in context and understand exactly what he's talking about when he tells them, don't be doing this and don't be doing that. Well, in order to add to that a little bit, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. See, here's the thing. This whole deal is about heart condition. It's about what is motivating you to carry out whatever it is you're doing. Where's your heart in it? Is your heart in a place where you're looking for self-satisfaction? Is your heart in a place where you're looking to get notification for whatever it is you're doing, whether it's giving to the needy or praying in public or, or whatever? It's about heart condition. What is driving you to do what you're doing? Are you really wanting to see God glorified? And if that's what's driving you, there's no wrong way to do it. Because when your heart's in the right place, that means you're... you're your heart is seeking to please God. And with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a little knowledge of God's Word, it's going to be hard to mess it up. But what happens is we are naturally selfish. You was born selfish. I was born selfish. That's just a root of every one of us and it's due to Adam and Eve and the, the acts took place in the, in the garden. You have no control over it. You are born selfish. If I go to my default settings, if everything in me resets, you know what I am? Selfish. Self-seeking. I want what I want when I want it. Our society is based on this mindset. We drive up to the speaker, we tell them what we want, we get at the first window, we give them our money. We get at the second money, they give us our goods. And if all of this process takes more than three minutes, we're mad. And we want everything in our lives to operate on that. And it's kind of been branded into the fact that you and I are selfish. We like convenience and we like what we want when we want it. And most of the time, that's right now. So what we're trying to combat in order to get to a place where you and I... See, what has to happen in order for us to have a discussion with anybody on any subject is we have to remove self. If we're going to be the guide and the lighthouse that God desire, desires for us to be in order to point people to Him, self has to be removed. So this selfishness inside of me has to be squashed. And let me assure you, it's not a one-time event. You can't get up here today and say, I'm going to squash self and go live the rest of your life thinking self is gone. Because self is deep-rooted inside of us and it's a daily struggle to push self aside and let glory for God come to the top. It's a daily decision that you have to make. And remember, you and I are trying to be the people that make a, a serious change in this world and in the things going on around us. So my personal beliefs, my personal opinions have to be squashed because I have an opinion about everything that you see going on out there today. And guess what? Every one of you have a personal opinion about that same stuff. And if we all started spouting off our personal opinions, we'd probably start another riot. 
Right? Because we're all selfish and we all want, want what we want when we want it. And it causes this big conflict. So in order for us to be what God desires for us to be, the first thing we have to do is recognize that self must die. My opinions, my desires all have to be pushed aside. And you have to do that daily. Because when you wake up in the morning, you want the first thing you want. Right? Think about it. So, so it's not. it can't be about you. It can't be about me. So the first thing we have to do is get ourselves with an understanding that I'm trying to kill self in this process. Alright, so that's how we're going to make sure that when we go to this instruction that we are carrying it out in the right way because the first thing we notice is if you go out to do it just to be seen doing it, wrong, it's not going to work. Because see, what you were desiring was something for self. You wanted to be noticed. And guess what? You were, congratulations, you got yours, you can move on. And you didn't help nothing. That's the warning here. That, that's, what, that's what Christ is pointing at when He says in verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. He's not saying that it's never okay to pray in public. But it's never okay to pray or do anything with the desire of being seen. That's not why we do what we do. It's not to draw attention to self. In order to squash that, you got to put self aside. First step, self has to be put aside. But otherwise, when you do it with this self in, involved, it's no better than the hypocrites. Right? It's doing the same thing they're doing. Alright, keep going. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward because they wanted to be seen. They got seen. Reward. Move on. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now is this a, a command to physically, every time you pray, to go into a quiet spot where nobody can see or hear you and pray? No, it can't be that because we see too many instances of Christ praying and that not being the case. What about the feller in the Old Testament when the, when the command was given that nobody could pray to their God, they only had to pray to, to the, the, the king and he gets busted up in his room praying as he had done every day. He wasn't in the wrong for that but he was seen doing it. There's so many instances of public prayer in Scripture that we can squash the idea that this instruction is that you have to physically go into a room. I, here's what I take from it. Going into your room. Now there are times, before I say that, there are times that you need to separate yourself and go into a quiet place and cry out to God. That does exist. I'm not saying that don't exist. But what I need you to understand is this is not an instruction that every time you pray, in order for it to be the right way, you got to be in secret. But it's got to be coming from the right place. The right thing has to be driving you. If to be seen and heard is what's driving you, it don't matter where you do it. 
or how you go about it. And the opposite is also true. If the right thing is driving you, it don't matter how you go about it or where you do it. And I can say that because when your heart is in the right place, your desires are in the right place, and your motives are in the right place, you're going to go about it the right way. So it's important that we understand that what Jesus is talking about is a heart condition. That you and I have a right way to do things. And it's a standard not determined by popular vote. You hear me? It's God's standard is not determined by popular vote. It's a standard that God set. And it never changes. It doesn't matter where I am in my walk. It doesn't matter uh, what condition I'm in or what environment I'm in. God's standard is God's standard and it never changes. That's the, that's the great thing about getting on this standard. You don't have to worry about it changing tomorrow. I could give you a, a list this long of, of instances of the standard in this world and how it changed. About the time you got your money saved up to buy that first pair of bell bottoms, Everybody's wearing skinny jeans. About the time you got your hair rolled out into your afro, everybody else is walking around with a tight cut, right? It changes. It changes. And as it changes, you have to change with it if that's what you're chasing. The good thing about God's standard is it doesn't change. It's consistent. So if you can get on this standard, you don't have to worry about changing it anymore. You can stay right where you are and remain in that standard. In other words, right is always right and wrong is always wrong. And it's not determined by popular vote. Right is right even if you're the only one doing it. It's still right. And wrong is wrong even if everybody's doing it it's still wrong. So you've got to develop this standard and get on this standard and continue with this standard. Keep going with me. We're going to get there. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now I want to stop right here and point out something else that's a common thread in what we've read so far. When Jesus said don't do something, He's pointing out a particular group of people. And He's going, don't do as the hypocrites, don't do as the Gentiles, don't do as the whoever, right? That's what he's done this whole time. Don't do it. In other words, just because they're all doing it and you're around people who's doing it that way, don't make it right. See, one of the things that we're dealing with in this, this time when this is written, when this is taking place, when Jesus is speaking these words, is all of these pagan worshiping people. And all of these pagan gods were worshipped in a different matter. And what happened was, because it was such a popular thing, a lot of the Christian people would get drawn into those pagan ways, or people that were converted from paganism would bring their traditions and their ideals, try to bring that into the Christian church. 
And just like he just told them, don't be throwing up these empty words, a lot of those pagan worshipers would just, in their prayer time, would just they would have it memorized, just a, a series of words, or maybe it was the same word over and over and over and over and over and over again. Well, these Christians would either had been a part of that or hear that in the streets or whatever, and then they would come into church, and that's how they would pray. And Jesus is going, don't do that. Don't, it's, don't do that. Christianity is not a combination of all the popular things in the world brought into this mixing bowl. It's standalone with its own standards. Don't try to bring other practices into this. So in your prayer life, this isn't about fancy words. This isn't about repeating words. This isn't about a certain set of words to say. This is about a conversation between you and your maker. And you bring in a petition, or you bring in a praise, or you bring in whatever's on your heart. Now we're going to see that we have to be in a particular place in our heart again. But the main thing is, is that you're motivated by the right thing. And that right thing is the same every time that question is answered. And that is to bring glory to your Creator. In other words, to stand here and point at God. That's what all of creation was designed to do, is to point at God and help us to see that as human beings, there's this big gap between us and God, and there's no way we can get there except for Jesus Christ. So that's what we are designed to do, is to point people to God. By what, no matter what we're doing, no matter what the scenario, if we're talking about praying, if we're talking about worship, if we're talking about whatever, our purpose, our main purpose, the reason He put us here is to point people to Him, to bring glory to His name. That's our purpose. So you can always fall back on that. Alright, here we go. We're going to get into the how-to portion of today's um, message. And, and you know... I think it's pretty obvious because verse 9 starts with pray like this. And he does a demonstration. And if somebody had been there with a video camera and knew about YouTube, this would literally be a how-to video. But the problem is there weren't no video cameras and there weren't no YouTube. So what we have is a text of it, a written account of what's taking place. And we, as Christians, should be able to open our hearts and read this, and it appear to us as a how-to video. Because he started, his statement was, pray like this. He's told them how not to do it, right? He's told them what not to do. Now he's going to give them a video of what to do. Look at this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing in prayer is you got to recognize who you're talking to. Because praying to anything or anybody except the creator of the universe, God Almighty Himself, is a waste of time. Our Father who art in heaven, So who is he talking to? 
hallowed be your name. Held in the highest of honor. Right? Set apart and holy. There is no other like you anywhere to show reverence to God. To not just approach this like we're just talking to some statue somewhere. It's not like we're praying to, to a Buddha. It's not like we're praying to an animal. You've got to understand this. The only purpose behind prayer is conversation between you and your Maker. That's prayer. It's communication. So the first thing Jesus establishes in His how-to video, if you will, is who you're talking to. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Now He's not telling you you have to every time you pray, pray these words. He didn't say that. What did He say? Pray then like this. So we're going to use His structure. The first thing is who we're addressing. You have to understand who you're talking to. So what limits are there to my Father who is in heaven? There ain't no limits. There ain't no limits. You need to pray like there ain't no limits. What can He not do? Nothing. So you need to act like you're talking to a God who has no limits. If you think about all the other gods in this world that people worship, and people set up as gods, they all had limits. As a matter of fact, in things like Greek mythology, each one had an independent specialty, right? It was the god of the sun, and the god of the moon, and the god of fertility, and the god of this, and the god of that. That's why there's so many of them. They're limited. They can only do one thing. For one thing, they're not real, but if they were, they can only do one thing. We serve a god who has no limits. His only limit in your life is you. His only limit in my life is me. God has no limits. There are no limitations. The second part of that is, hallowed be your name, held in the highest honor, separated, holy. We need to talk to Him like He's a holy God. We need to treat Him like He's a holy God. He deserves all of our reverence. Listen, some, some of y'all... Listen, it's going to be tough on you. You never learned what respect was. You never learned what it was like to honor somebody. Along with that comes a little bit of fear. There's a healthy fear of the Lord, right? You honored people. You respected people. When I was, I was so scared... When I would go into places in public, I thought every adult in, the, in my eyesight had permission to whip my rear end. I really thought that. That's why I acted so good out in public. Right, right. The giggles are coming now. Hallowed. Honorable. The highest level of honor you can offer. Honor, respect. And along with that comes a healthy dose of fear. Right? A fear of God is a good thing. The next request. We've established who we're talking to and we've established what He represents. Right? The next thing. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. God of no limits, God of all creation, I desire that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much disorder do you think there is in heaven? How many things are taking place in heaven that are outside of God's will? Man, if it was that way here. That's what we seek and that's what we desire. Remember, we're doing all this for an entrance into God's kingdom. That, that's the promise of salvation is not to be separated from God, but to live in eternity in His presence. How awesome would it be to have that while I'm here on this earth? Now to experience that in full is not going to happen on this earth. But man, we can get some pieces of it. We can get some first fruits here and there, right? And we can live a life that displays that to other people so they desire it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want your will more than I want anything else. You know what? Some of this stuff may have been inevitable. It was just, it was just gonna happen. Some of it may have could have been stopped by simple prayer from God's people. A desire for God's will to be done. A desire for God's kingdom to be seen on this earth. Because what we see, even the description this world has of love is broken. They don't know what love is in this world. You know why? Because they're unplugged from the source. See, the kind of love that God desires for us to display points people to Him. People in this earth don't even understand what love really is. And I can prove that to you pretty simply. I love God. I love my wife. I love ice cream. I love my dog. I love sunny days. I love to hunt. I love the woodwork. Does any of that sound like the same thing to you? It don't to me. This world don't even know what love is. We just throw that word around just like But you know how they're going to get an understanding of what love is and what love looks like? It's through God's people. Listen, God is not surprised at how the world is acting. God is not caught off guard by the fact that unchurched people don't know how to act. He, it's, not, it's, it's not surprised Him at all. It's what's expected. But what is disappointing is the fact that His church don't look no different than the rest of the world. That we don't know how to act. We should know how to act. We should know what love is. We should know the difference in loving ice cream and loving your God. We should know the difference in loving other people and loving a dog. We should know the difference. We should be living in a way that people look at us and go, there's something different about these people. What do they have that we don't have? We should know how to talk to our Creator in these horrible times like we're living in and be able to come out of that conversation with a sense of accomplishment that we have confidence in our God and what He's capable of doing. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Nobody's as great as you are. You have no limits. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying for God's desire to be accomplished in this earth. That's what we're looking for, right? Who knows more about it than God? So who knows what the best resolution is better than God's? Nobody. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I agree with or disagree with. It doesn't matter how it impacts or affects me and how that changes my emotions going into the situation. None of that matters. Because remember, self's been removed. All I'm asking for is God have His way. Keep going. Because now we get a, a little bit of understanding that there's a certain place that we have to be in order for God to even recognize what we're asking. Look at this. Give us this day our daily bread. Who is our provider? Our daily, and we need to recognize that daily. God, I don't even exist without you. I can't even, I don't even have air to breathe without you. God is a God of provision, and we need to acknowledge and recognize that because here's what happens. We're forgetful. Y'all remember that message? We're forgetful. And we somehow get to start believing that we're the one accomplishing all of this. That it's because of my hard work that my family eats. No. It's because of my dedication that I have a job. No. No, it's because of God's grace that you have anything. It's God's grace and that's all. And you need to be recognizing that it's Him who provides our daily bread, our daily provision, and what we need to sustain life on this earth. It ain't got nothing to do with me and my abilities and who I know and how much I've got. No, it don't matter. Without God, you ain't got nothing. It's His grace and His grace alone. we got to get that through our thick skull somehow because that's where this attitude that I know better than anybody else comes from. I can assure you, I'm about two bad decisions from being exactly where anybody else is at today. You name them. I'm there. It's when I lose my dependence on God that I get to those places. I'm not beyond it. There's nothing special about me. Nothing whatsoever. It's just God's grace that I'm even born in a country to have the opportunities I have. Did you choose where you were born? I know I don't remember filling out that paperwork. I probably would have chose a different daddy that wasn't so big and hard on people. Right? That ain't true. I would not have chose a different dad. But I didn't fill out that paperwork. I didn't make those choices. It's by God's grace, right? You had nothing to do with it. It's by God's grace that you even live in the country where you have the opportunity to even have a job. Don't need to forget that. None of us need to forget that. This is about, this is about recognizing that God's daily provision is the only reason we're still alive. Look. In verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. Now you need to pay close attention to the verbiage here. Because it's going to tie back in down here at the bottom in our last part of our reading this morning. Forgive us, forgive, right? 
as we have also forgiven, past tense. Think about that. On your forgiveness scale, if God's forgiving on your forgiveness scale, that's what He's saying. That's what we're supposed to be praying. Forgive me as I have forgiven. On your forgiveness scale, how do you fare when God forgives you if He's using your scale? Forgive me as I have forgiven. Where are you going to be? Remember I started all this by saying it's about heart condition. It's about getting your heart, giving your heart to Christ. You dying and your life being in Christ. How many times can we go to Scripture and see Christ look at somebody and go, I can't forgive you for that. How many of times have we looked at this Bible and looked at the account of Christ on this earth and seen Him explain to somebody, after you do this, this, and this, and this, and you meet this standard, then I'll forgive you. So why do we have that standard if we have the heart of Christ? Because we don't have the heart of Christ. Why do we have those those add-ons when we're trying to live by the standard that God has set because you ain't really living by the standard God has set. You're holding on to little pieces of it. Remember a while ago when I told you and described to you that the problem was people were taking things from other places and bringing them into the church and trying to make it all work? We do that on a daily basis. We keep on to the things of the world that we like and we try to mend them and mold them and shape them and get them as little as we can and get them in our pocket and go in before God still holding on to them. Just like these standards of forgiveness. Forgive me as I have forgiven others. If He starts doing that, I may be in trouble. Because I want to put these stipulations on handing out forgiveness. Oh, but Brother Nick, you don't know how bad it was. Does it matter? Oh, but Brother Nick, you don't understand how bad they hurt me. I thought it wasn't about me no more. I thought it wasn't about self. I thought it was about God getting glory. And you know where God gets glory? The impossible, not the possible. In other words, if you're capable of doing it, God ain't going to get no glory. People look at it and go, well, congratulations, Sean, you did that. But when you do something that's impossible, then people look at it and go, there ain't but one explanation. It wasn't him, it wasn't her. See, God gets the glory out of the impossible. So when you forgive in those situations when it's humanly impossible, guess who gets glory? That's your purpose. Right? Forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. I hope and pray that you can say, because listen, we're wanting to see change in our world. We're wanting to see things different in our world. We're trying to be a lighthouse that other people come to so that we can point them to the real lighthouse. Right? We'll just be like a little band-aid station so we can get them to where God really is. But if we're going to be that, we've got to take this standard serious. And that includes all of it. It's not a buffet. You don't pick out the part you like, leave the rest of it laying for somebody else to worry about. No, it's all or none. So if you're going to walk by these standards, you've got to walk by all of these standards. And these standards are pretty clear. And the first problem you and I have is you and I. 
It's the reason our prayer lives struggle. Right? Be honest. It's the reason our study lives struggle. Right? The whole reason that my spiritual walk is broken is me. I can't blame it on Kevin. He pours his heart into every time he stands in front of us. Just like last week when he wasn't even preaching. It can't be his fault. I can't blame it on, on Chris and Dale and Savannah and Leanne and the rest of our band that's not getting to go right now. can't blame it on them. I, they pour their heart into it. They do everything they can to make it pleasing to God every time they come in here. It can't be their fault. It can't be the people behind the scenes keeping this thing going. People like Nathan that have went above and beyond over the last few months to make sure we had videos daily. Remember, it was a group of us that came in here. It was one man putting all that together and getting it to you. It can't be people like Tara, who this morning when I come in and say, hey, we're out of song lyrics, takes off to the building, asks Chris to stall and gets us more. It can't be her. My problem with my broken spiritual condition is me and me alone. When I stand before God, I won't be able to point at nobody else. I can't even point at the world and go, but God, they were too big of an influence. No, it's me. I'm responsible for me in this thing. The reason my prayer life isn't what it ought to be, I'm the reason my spiritual walk isn't what it ought to be, I'm the reason my study time ain't as much as it should be, I am my problem. Listen to me, you are your problem. When you set this standard and you decide this is the standard you want to live by, be serious. Take it all. Not bits and pieces and not parts. I stood at a guy's place this week working on a, a PC200 track hoe. I, I, I've been there three days this week. He's having trouble getting stuff. But my last day there was Friday or Thursday. Friday. And a, and a guy was there that had been there the first time I was there. And he just sat down on a bucket. And he started talking to me as I was working. And he started talking about all that's going on in this world. And, and all the ways we could fix it and whose responsibility it is and who, who should change and who should do this and all these things that could be different and it would be better. And I said, brother, I, I, man, I ain't trying to be disrespectful. I'm standing on your place. But I'm going to be honest with you this morning. The biggest problem we have in this world is a lack of trust in God. And that responsibility falls on me and you as individuals. We can't point our finger at somebody else and talk about how it would be different if they would change. It would be different if you and I would change. And I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know what your church ideals are. I'm just telling you I'm tired of walking around this thing and acting like there's some magical cure in some person that might or might not get elected. The problem is self. That's our problem. This is the root of our problem. And if you and I want to see things change, we got to get our prayer life right. We got to get our study life right. We got to get our spiritual walk so that we mirror Jesus. We are supposed to be disciples. We are supposed to be pursuing Christ in His likeness. And we're supposed to be calling everything else. We don't call enough. We don't call enough. Let's finish this up right quick. Listen to this. Now, he, he stopped. I mean, he ends this. He ends this lesson. He's fixing to go on to fasting. 
he ends this lesson. This is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus in front of crowds. This is him teaching. And he ends a lesson on prayer and goes on to the next subject. And here's how he ends a, a subject, a lesson on the subject of praying. Now think about this. We just talked about it, but think about the importance of this. If Christ ends the message on this subject, this ain't even, he ain't talking about forgiveness. Remember, the subject is praying. He's teaching them how to pray. And look at how he closes this out. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That was his ending statement. He didn't go back and reiterate on any of the other parts of that prayer. But he took the time to explain what it means for him to forgive us as we forgive our de debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. He took the time to explain that. If you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven. I don't know about you. It don't get much more plain than that to me. He said what he said. He meant what he said. and he, I mean, he said it. Jesus himself said, that's not Paul's idea, right? That's not James's idea. That's not debatable between Peter and John. This is Jesus Christ himself in the flesh, standing on the earth going, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Do you know why our prayer life is broken? We don't know how to forgive. Listen, it ain't about the words you use. It's about your heart condition. And when you come and bow before God and plead to God, carrying things, God's going, man, you're carrying all this junk. You're asking me to forgive you where, I, where you failed me, but you won't offer that same forgiveness to whomever. It can't be no more plain. If you don't forgive, your Father won't forgive you. Remember, He's talking to the Creator of all things. He's talking about the Creator of all things. The guy who has no limits. Who has the power to remove my sinfulness and offer me an opportunity for eternity with Him is standing there saying, if you don't forgive yours, I can't forgive you. If we want to see change, if we want to see things different in our world, we've got to get our hearts right. Our, the root of all the world's problem is heart condition. Heart condition, plain and simple. If we want to be able to lead people to Christ and see a change in this world that is a foreshore lasting change, we've got to get our hearts right. That's where we've got to start. Then we, can, then we can petition Him in prayer. But listen to me. You ain't capable of cleaning up. If you're waiting to get to a specific place before you come, you're not going to get there. Because again, this all goes back to God's grace. He's asking you to take some steps. But if you look at me and tell me, Brother Nick, I don't know how to forgive, I'm going to go, yeah, I know. Neither do I. But I know who can teach. I know who can show me. 
I know who can lead me. You say, well, it ain't possible. Man, it's bad. You're right, it's not. In you, it's not possible. Again, when does God get the glory? In the impossible. Quit depending on your abilities. This ain't about your abilities. I'm not up here because I'm a great speaker. I'm not up here because I'm a great note taker and I can put stuff together. God don't use me in marriage counseling because we figured out marriage. I'm up here because I depend on Him. It's His grace. It's His grace. You are where you are because of who God is, not because of who you are. Hey, listen, we started this off with a, a song called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And he says, they were singing, and I mean, it just rung in my ears. Um, the part where he says, uh, what a privilege. What a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. What a privilege. And yet we blow it off like it's a sidebar, side note. It's a privilege to even have the opportunity to come before God. It's not because of who I am, it's because of His grace. Right? So why are we wasting that opportunity? We might really could see a genuine change in the people around us. We might really could see a genuine change in the world around us. If we could get our heart right. If we could get to a place where we really live by the standard that God has set. But I can assure you of this, until we decide to do that and depend on Him and Him alone, we'll never see change. As long as we continue to believe it's about me and my abilities and how good I am and how much better I am than that guy over there stealing or killing or robbing or whatever, you ain't but just a few bad decisions from where he's at. Any one of us. Chris, <clears throat> Get you and Leanne to come back up here and, and lead us in, a, in another song. An opportunity for um, you to deal with whatever God's laid on your heart this morning. I pray that you've taken serious what you've heard. I pray that you'll continue to take it serious. That you'll listen. That this isn't, this isn't me making this stuff up. This is me sharing scripture with you. This is me just pointing you to what God's word says. And that's all. So take it serious. Think on it. Allow God to speak to you about it and then respond accordingly.